Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Dietetics with Dana. I'm your host, Dana Fryer, and I'm a registered dietitian and registered dietitian exam tutor. And this is my podcast where I help dietitian students break down the RD exam. Today's topic is inspired by an email I received today where one of my students was really, really concerned about how she was going to learn all of the math. And her concerns echo concerns I'm sure a lot of you guys have. Number one, dietitians really don't love math, right? TPN, tube feeds, sure. But food service management math? I don't do that day to day. I mean, I do sometimes because I tutor for the exam, but most of us aren't going to use it day to day. We also have so many questions and equations we need to know for this exam that can be a little bit daunting. And especially if you're someone who during school just didn't like math, it's super easy to kind of shut down with this topic. So today in this podcast episode, what I want to do is just chat about the topics and definitions of the different equations you're going to see on the exam. If you're looking for practice questions on these, definitely check out my math bootcamp class. That's going to walk you through all of the equations on the exam and also lead you through a 90-minute practice question class. I'll put the link in the show notes for that. But today, let's chat about the topics. So the first one is inventory turnover ratio. An inventory turnover ratio is going to help me to understand how I'm using my inventory. Here I'm comparing two things, my cost of goods sold to my average inventory. And when I divide these numbers, I want it to be between two and four. And how I like to think about it is this is how many times you would be okay with going to the store in a month, right? I could go every week. I could go twice a month, but I don't want to constantly be running to the store, right? It would be better for me to buy a little bit more on each trip than have to run to the store every day. On the flip side of that, if my inventory turnover ratio is too low, let's say it's one, and I'm just going to the store once a month, the concern is that what if some of that food goes bad? But also, I'm tying up a lot of my money in my inventory. So if I spend $400 on food at the beginning of the month, what if my car breaks down? What if I need to make a bigger credit card payment? I don't have those funds available. So I want to keep that ratio between two and four so that I have enough inventory on hand, but I'm not having to be constantly running out to the store. So I'll have inventory, I'll have cash flow. It'll be really ideal if I can have a two to four inventory turnover ratio. Next equation to talk about is one a lot of the exam asks about. And this is kind of a triple threat question of percent yield, edible portion, and as purchase portion. So with percent yield, I like to think about this as what I'm left with. And if we want to think about an easy example, think of carrots. If I have 10 pounds of carrots, and when I slice and peel them, I end up with 7.5 pounds of carrots, that was a 70% yield. My edible portion, what I'm left with, over my as purchased, and that's going to tell me that 75% of that weight stays. So when you're thinking about percent yield, 
Think about the fact that this is what's staying. And when we know that equation, right, percent yield equals edible portion over as purchased, we can flip it around and apply it to our equations for edible portion and as purchased. So let's take a look at those. So when I'm thinking about as purchased weight, this is how much I need to buy at the store. So often commonly questions we're getting asked about this is they're saying, I need 7.5 pounds of cut peeled carrots, right? That's my edible portion. And if I know it's a 75% yield, what should I buy at the store so that I end up with 7.5 pounds of carrots? Well, we cannot buy just 7.5 pounds of carrots because that's going to result in a lower edible portion than we need because to find my edible portion, I'm doing my as purchased times my 75% to find my edible portion. So I always need to buy more than I would desire of my edible portion weight at the store to make sure that when I take the carrots I buy times 0.75%, I'm getting my desired edible portion weight. So if we go back to the carrot example, and I know, well, it's 75% yield, and I want to finish with 7.5 pounds, we would take my edible portion weight divided by my percent yield as a decimal, so 0.75, and that would tell me I need to buy 10 pounds of carrots at the store so I end up with my 7.5 pounds of edible portion carrots. And to double check that, we can flip it around, right? We can also say that my as purchased times percent yield is going to equal my edible portion weight. So if I do 10 times 0.75, that's getting me back to 7.5. So when we're thinking about edible portion, percent yield, and as purchased portion, remember that this is an equation that we can flip around three different ways depending on what we're looking for. A fourth topic equation to add on this too is shrinkage. So I like to think that shrinkage is kind of the opposite of percent yield, right? If we think about our carrots and we said 75% of the carrots is staying, well, that means 25% is our shrinkage. So our shrinkage is the weight of the food that's removed, or missing after cooking or preparing. So we can solve for this if we know that carrots have a 75% yield. We can say, well, shrinkage is going to be the opposite of that because the shrinkage, what's leaving plus percent yield, what's staying, should equal, right, 100%. So with my carrots, I would take 100% minus 75. And then that would tell me, well, my shrinkage is going to be 25%. And once we understand edible portion as purchase percent yield and shrinkage, then we can layer it on to the question that I find is one of the most popular questions they ask on the exam. And this is solving for edible portion cost. So when we're thinking about edible portion cost, here we're trying to think about, you know, what is the actual dollars per pound 
value of the food. Because if I'm going to the store and I'm seeing a sign that says carrots are going to be $1 per pound, and I want to finish with 7.5 pounds of carrots, I can't just buy, right? We can't just go to the store with $7.50. I need to think about, well, how much do I need to go to the store with? Because the dollar per pound of edible portion price is always going to be more than as purchase portion price because I'm decreasing that denominator. I'm decreasing the weight that I finish with. So my edible portion cost is really, really important for budgeting so that I can you know, think about what's the true cost of the food. So my equation here is I'm taking the amount of money that I need to spend to buy the correct as purchased. So if we think back to our example of carrots, right, we said we want to be at points, you know, we have a 0.75% yield. We want to finish with 7.5 pounds of carrots. Therefore, we need to buy 10 pounds of carrots. So my numerator is my raw food cost. And I like to think about this as what I hand the cashier. So if I'm buying 10 pounds of carrots and we said that the carrots are a dollar per pound, I'm not handing the cashier a dollar, right? I'm handing her $10 because it's 10 pounds of carrots for a dollar per pound, $10. So think about your numerator here as what I'm handing the cashier. Then my denominator is my edible portion weight. So 7.5 pounds. And to solve for edible portion cost, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my $10, what I handed the cashier, and divide it by my pounds for my edible portion price. So I'm doing 10 pounds, sorry, $10 divided by 7.5 pounds. And when I get that, I get it's going to be $1.33 per pound as my edible portion price. And you notice that is greater than my as purchase portion price because we still paid $10 for the numerator, but the denominator is smaller for my edible portion weight. And like I said, that's one of the most important ones to understand because they like to ask that a lot. Next question we'll go over is what is time series forecast? So time series forecast is a forecasting method where we're doing more of a moving average. So if I'm doing a time series forecast, I'm looking at, well, what, you know, were my sales on a certain item the past three months and finding an average of this. And the best thing about this is it will move kind of month to month. So if we think about something where sales change seasonally, this is a really, really great method because, you know, let's think about ice cream where now that it's finally getting warmer, more people are buying ice cream at the ice cream shop, but it's going to slowly inch up each month. So I don't want to just compare March ice cream sales and say, oh, I should get the same amount for April. I want to be looking at, well, what have the sales been the past three months to look for what should I buy for April. So we would add up the number of sales of ice cream for the past three months and then divide it by three to say, okay, this is based on this data 
this is what I should be buying for the next month. Another good topic to know about when it comes to the math is gonna be our seat turnover rate. So this is a really, really great one because it's helping us to better understand, well, how many chairs do I need in like my cafe, my cafeteria, so that I can move the correct amount of customers through. So when we're looking at seat turnover rate, we're looking at the number of customers per hour over the number of seats. And this is really useful information because if I'm the owner of a restaurant and I'm saying, okay, well, I need to have 400 people come through the restaurant tonight and I have a seat turnover rate of four, I can do 400 divided by four and say that as long as I have 100 seats, I'm going to be able to see everyone who needs to come through. Next, we probably have one of the least favorite equations to chat about, and that's a break even because it's a difficult vocab, it's a difficult equation to understand. So with break even, we're talking about this is the point where the sales are equal to what I owe someone. So if I have $100 in costs, my break even would be when I have $100 worth of sales. But we can look at this in two different ways. So I can look at it in units sold. And what I'm saying here is I need to sell four classes at $25 each to break even. So if you're getting a question about break even in units sold, remember your actual answer is the number of units at the specific selling price. So four units at $25 each. Verse, if I'm looking at break even in sales volume, this is when I'm just talking about how much volume do I need to sell in general. So that would be I need to sell $100 worth of classes to break even. So a really great way to kind of distinguish, well, which equation do they need me to use? Is it break even in units or break even in sales volume? Because the equations are quite different is you want to look at your answer choices. If the answer choices do not have a dollar, then that's going to be talking about units sold. The other hint that it is units and not sales volume is if you're having one larger number for fixed costs and then the sales or selling price and variable costs are much lower. In break-even sales volume, not only will the answer be a dollar, but it's also going to be much larger numbers that kind of look more similar to each other. So if you can distinguish right away, well, is it which equation doesn't want me to use, that's going to help you tremendously. Also, because the equations for break-even in units sold and break-even in sales volume are really tricky, this is a really great one to use algebra on, where if you can just write your equations and then plug in your answer options, it's going to be much easier for you to see which one is correct. Our next equations to go over is the three different pricing methods. So with the different pricing methods, you want to make sure you're thinking about, well, what are the components for each one? Because knowing the components for each one is going to help you recognize which one you're using. The first one is prime cost method. So when I'm thinking about prime cost, I'm thinking prime, this is the first thing I'm thinking to do. You know, take my raw food costs, take my labor costs, 
and then multiply that times my markup factor. So when you're thinking prime cost, think it's kind of the first thing to be doing. First factor pricing method, this one is kind of the easiest one because there's just two numbers you need. You need your raw food costs and then your desired food cost percentage. So here what we're going to do is we're going to just take 100 divided by the desired food cost percentage and then multiply that markup factor by the raw food cost. So factor pricing is really, really simple. You can also easily use your answer bank here because all you need to do is say, if it's asking you what should the selling price be, just take your raw food cost and then over X, right, and then plug in your answers, and it should equal your desired food cost percentage. And then the last one is cost plus pricing. With cost plus pricing, I like to think cost plus, you kind of plus together all your percentages to see what's left up for food cost percentage, and then you're just dividing food cost percentage by desired food cost. So each of those have very, very different components, and sometimes they're not telling you which equation to use, but they're saying, find the selling price based on this information. So the first thing you should be running through your head is, well, what type of information do I have? And then once you find out, well, which pricing method do they want, then you can use your equation. Sometimes they'll also be giving you, use this specific pricing method, and then they're giving you a lot of fluff. So again, thinking about, well, what do I need to answer this question? And cutting out the fluff, and that's really going to help to simplify your math questions for these pricing methods. The next equations that I find everyone gets mixed up is solvency versus liquidity. Because on paper, they kind of seem the same, right? My assets are on top, and then I'm comparing to my liabilities. But we would use them differently in different situations. So liquidity, I like to think liquid spills quickly. So this is looking at kind of what I currently have, what I currently owe. So this would be cash in my pocket for an asset, money on my debit card for an asset. Current liabilities would be like, I have to pay my taxes this week. I have to pay my rent. Versus solvency thinks solvent, you know, solvency thinks solid. So when we're thinking solvency, think these are, you know, kind of my overall assets, overall liabilities. So my overall assets would include, right, an evaluation of my business. It would also include my salary from the hospital. And then my overall liabilities would be thinking about, you know, my student loans I owe, my rent that I owe as well. All of those would be included too. Another great equation to walk through is also nitrogen balance. This is one that just gets everyone, but when you understand it, it's so much easier. So with our nitrogen balance, we're looking at comparing my nitrogen input to my nitrogen output. And I want you to think about the equation as your left-hand side is the nitrogen you're putting in. And how do we find for nitrogen? Well, we know that it, it takes 6.25 grams of protein to get one gram of nitrogen. So they're always going to give you the grams of protein you're taking. Just divide that by 6.25 and boom, you have your grams of nitrogen. And then we're comparing or subtracting 
my output. So that's my urinary urea nitrogen, which they always give you, and then just plus four. So when you're thinking about this one, if you're able to really think about why are we thinking about these different sides, why are these numbers involved, that's going to help you with not only nitrogen balance, of course, but a, a lot of the different equations too. So there's a lot of equations to go through. Like I mentioned, we went through a few in this podcast episode today, but definitely if math is a trouble area for you, definitely check out my math boot camp. I'll put that in the show notes because what that class is going to do is it's going to walk you through, and it does this in three parts. It's going to walk you through the definition of the equation, the actual equation, and then an example so that you can really lay down your foundation. And it goes over over 30 equations you're going to see on the exam that way, equations part one and part two. And then you're also going to have a math equations practice question class. That's a 90-minute class. It's guided. And that's going to be giving you exam-level math questions, but it's a class. So you're going to go through it with me. You're going to try it on your own. But then also, we're going to go through it together. And then the icing on the cake with that one, too, is you're also going to get a math homework that you'll be able to do, and you can turn it in, and it's graded by me. So that's a really great way, too, to kind of see, well, where am I stuck? Get some feedback from a tutor. So definitely check out that class because it's going to help you understand the equation so much and try to get out of memorizing the equations and more thinking about, well, why would this equation be useful? What would it be used for? And then doing practice questions on it. And remembering that you do not need to be an expert on any of this exam material. Where you want to be is at 80% so that you can recognize what the question's asking you. You're going to be able to think about what the equation could be and answer that question correctly. Because my goal is that I want you to get these math questions right, not only to help you pass the exam, but also because the computer adaptive model, if you are not tight on your math, it's going to spit out more questions for you on math, which can lead you to not pass the exam. So definitely, if math is a trouble area, definitely prioritize getting in some math help. This is probably one of the most common topics that I tutor on. So I'll put all the links below in my show notes. And don't forget to reach out to me at DanaJFryerNutrition at gmail.com. If you have any questions, always happy to chat about one-on-one tutoring. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast. That's the best way for other students to find this podcast and see how helpful it is to them. And don't forget to check out the Facebook page and the Instagram as well. I'll put the links in the show notes and happy studying.